On November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy visited Dallas, Texas. Alongside him in the presidential motorcade were his wife Jacqueline, Texas Governor John Connolly, and Connolly's wife Nellie. Seeing that JFK was up for re-election the next year, the purpose of this trip was to reach across the aisle. Kennedy wanted to connect with more conservative citizens, ones that didn't necessarily agree with his progressive ideals. As the Kennedys and Connollys waved to the excited crowd from their Lincoln convertible, Nellie whispered to Kennedy, Mr. President, you can't say that Dallas doesn't love you. He responded gleefully, No, you certainly can't. Those were John F. Kennedy's final words before he was assassinated by 24-year-old ex-Marine Lee Harvey Oswald. After a year-long investigation into the president's murder, authorities later claimed that Oswald acted alone. But since that hearing, many theorists have discovered strange connections to Oswald and other conservative individuals, namely, members of the Skull and Bones. In fact, some believe this elusive society may have encouraged Oswald to murder one of the most progressive presidents in American history. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode on Yale's secret society known as the Skull and Bones. They're a self-described male bonding group with hopes to create what journalist Ron Rosenbaum calls an alliance of good men. Upon joining, each new member makes a lifelong oath of secrecy that isn't taken lightly. In part one, we discussed the establishment of the society in 1832 and dug into the group's macabre initiation practices. We learned that the Bonesman Brotherhood runs deep throughout many industries in America, including our own government. Today, we'll investigate several intriguing theories about the Skull and Bones, like the idea that they were behind the creation of the CIA and possibly that they played a role in the assassination of JFK. We'll also dissect the possibility that the Skull and Bones is a branch of the Illuminati with plans to create a new world order. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. 
That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This year has gone by so quickly. So much has happened. I mean, I have already completely reconstructed the plumbing in my house. Luckily, not myself. I had help. And you know, with everything going on in life, sometimes it's important to slow down, take a minute to reflect and make adjustments for the rest of the year ahead. And if you need a little help with that, therapy is an excellent option. I have loved therapy so much, in part because of the coping mechanisms it's given me. It's not just a place to share my feelings about my life or what's going on. I've learned ways to address my own mental habits so that I can handle what I'm doing even better. I've learned that self-care is not selfish, and it's really made a big difference in my life. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, and all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get started. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash conspiracy. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. The Order, the Brotherhood of Death, Skull and Bones, or simply Bones. The Collegiate Secret Society was established in 1832 by a Yale student named William Huntington Russell. On average, there have only been about 800 living Skull and Bones members at any point in time. And many of those bonesmen have risen to the top of the most successful American industries. From media to education to finance and the American government, bonesmen are everywhere. This has led many to speculate there must be something even more suspicious happening with this incredibly successful yet relatively small group of men. Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory that the Skull and Bones were behind the creation of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, and that the agency even recruits outgoing bonesmen from Yale. In order to understand this theory, let's go back to 1945. World War II had just ended, and President Harry S. Truman wasn't happy with the way international intelligence was handled, especially after the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. So Truman decided it was high time to restructure the government's intelligence programs, and he knew exactly who to go to, a man named Robert Lovett, who was preparing to resign from his position as Assistant Secretary of War for Air. Lovett began his military career in the Navy during World War I. From there, he moved up the ranks to Lieutenant Commander. After becoming Assistant Secretary of War for Air in 1941, he oversaw the expansion of the Air Force. President Truman had given him a Medal of Honor for his service. Truman could testify to Lovett's experience and grit, and certainly didn't want such a distinguished member of the defense team to resign just yet. 
the president knew he could be perfect for developing the new intelligence department. But some believe Truman's choice wasn't about Lovett's experience at all. Some felt that it was something more covert. Lovett's membership to his collegiate secret society, the Skull and Bones, that made Truman pick him for the job. Despite Truman's pleas, Lovett still handed in his resignation letter that September 1945. Yet before he left, Secretary of War Robert Patterson created the Lovett Committee in his honor, and he appointed Lovett as chair until his final day of duty. The Lovett Committee consisted of seven high-ranking military officials. Each member helped to coach the government on intelligence and war-related matters. It was through this group that Lovett created the framework of the CIA as we know it today. To be clear, Lovett's resignation didn't mean he retired. Instead, he went back to work at a private investment bank called Brown Brothers Harriman, a company he'd co-founded with eight other members of Skull and Bones, including Prescott Bush. But a year after Lovett's resignation, the government came knocking. President Truman and the Department of Defense were having an impossible time getting the CIA accepted as a legitimate government agency without a congressional mandate. So, Robert Lovett agreed to come back and help the process along. He returned to a new position as Undersecretary of State. As far as we know, his presence helped, as the following year in 1947, the National Security Act was passed by Congress. This finally allowed for Truman's vision to come true, a complete overhaul of the government's foreign policy and intelligence programs. Which meant that the CIA was finally an official government agency, not just an idea. But Lovett wasn't going to be spearheading his new assignments alone. He brought other bonesmen along with him. One notable addition to the agency was F. Truby Davison, a bonesman from the same graduating class as Lovett. The two had also served together in World War I, an experience that solidified their bond. Meaning, it likely wasn't a huge surprise in 1951 when he was assigned to be the CIA's first director of personnel. Davison's main job was focusing on recruitment. This was no small task, and it meant a bonesman was in charge of who would and would not be allowed to join the CIA. At least three more bonesmen were hired by the CIA in the late 1940s and early 50s. Charles S. Whitehouse, William Sloan Coffin, and William F. Buckley Jr. Incredibly, Buckley was reportedly recruited on the Yale campus prior to graduation. He was approached by one of his professors and mentors, a man named Wilmore Kendall. Kendall worked for the CIA briefly during its official formation in 1947. Shortly after, he was hired as a professor at Yale, where he became close with Buckley. He then recommended him to the agency after graduation. According to an article in the Washington Post, this recruitment process is still even happening at Yale today. Some theorists believe it's a part of the CIA's strategy. Seeing that Bones members already have to live in relative secrecy, they might be primed to continue doing so if they join the agency. But some argue that this selection process is more coincidental. 
that people from Ivy League universities like Yale are just well-versed in international affairs, making them good picks for the CIA. Chances are, it has little to do with their memberships in secret societies. Sure, but there are other connections between the Bones and the CIA that are worth exploring. For instance, a statue of Nathan Hale, an American revolutionary spy, stands at both the Yale campus in Connecticut and the CIA headquarters in Virginia. It's a very specific choice, which makes it hard to believe it's a total coincidence. Since the Skull and Bones does have this omnipotent presence at Yale, I can see why it makes sense to draw that connection. But the truth is, Hale was a Yale alumni, not a Bonesman. The society wasn't even formed until almost 60 years after his death. But Hale was a member of another, older, secret fraternity at Yale called the Linonian Society. And the Linonians had a lot of crossover with Skull and Bones members when it was formed. Men like David Coit Gilman, William H. Taft, and F. Truby Davison were members of both societies. So maybe Hale's statue was a symbolic connection between Yale's secret societies and the CIA after all. True. We know that, however small, the Bones did have some kind of a hand in creating the CIA. Lovett helped structure the agency from the beginning and most likely brought Davison on to spearhead recruitment. And in the 74 years since its inception, the CIA has allegedly been filled with various members of the society at all levels. We can't say for certain whether the Skull and Bones is still actively involved with the CIA today. Both organizations are hell-bent on keeping their members' identities a secret, so if there are active members in the ranks, we'll probably never know about it. But if the society really did have full control over the agency, you'd think its directors would have consistently been Bonesmen as well. While member George H.W. Bush was made director of the CIA in 1976, there were plenty of others, like Roscoe H. Hillencotter, Walter Beetle Smith, and Alan Dulles, who had nothing to do with the society. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I give this theory a 6. Even though we're sure that two Skull and Bones members aided in creating the CIA, it's probably more coincidental than conspiratorial. I think the CIA just goes after Ivy League alumni who are qualified for the job. I'm not so sure I agree. Clearly, Lovett laid the foundation for what the CIA is today, and he seems to have brought in Davison to do the recruiting, so there's probably more Bonesmen pulling the strings of the CIA than we think. This theory feels pretty undeniable. The Skull and Bones, or at least a few of its members, are definitely behind the creation of the CIA. I give this a 9 out of 10. And knowing that the Bones have been linked to high-level intelligence, there may also be reason to believe that Bones were behind other, more sinister events in American history. Coming up, we'll analyze the Skull and Bones' involvement in JFK's assassination. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. 
mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. It seems undeniable that the Skull and Bones had a hand in shaping the CIA, but this may have just been a stepping stone, a strategic move to manipulate other government affairs. While many Bonesmen share a lifelong bond, that didn't always equate to shared political opinions. Some Bones members, like John Kerry, were against the Vietnam War. Meanwhile, others like George W. Bush were supporters. Similarly, some Bonesmen were in support of John F. Kennedy, while others, like the Bushes and the Buckleys, strongly disagreed with his progressive ideals. Time magazine publisher and Bonesman Henry Luce even issued a statement concerning Kennedy's political stance. He stated, quote, If Jack turns soft on communism, Time Magazine will cut his throat. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Skull and Bones members helped orchestrate JFK's assassination. In the fall of 1963, President Kennedy traveled across the country promoting his upcoming campaign for re-election. And as we know, JFK's politics were progressive for the early 60s. He supported civil rights, voting rights for the disenfranchised, and pushing to secure health care for the elderly and the poor. Though many saw JFK as a charming family man, he was a beloved president with one of the highest approval ratings in American history, yet someone still wanted him dead. That became the unfortunate reality on November 22, 1963, 
when President Kennedy was assassinated while driving through Dealey Plaza in downtown Dallas. An hour after Kennedy was murdered, Dallas police took Lee Harvey Oswald into custody, but there, Oswald told the media he was a patsy. He was set up. After hours of questioning, Oswald was charged with the murder of JFK. But two days later, as Oswald was leaving the Dallas police station, he himself was shot and killed by a local nightclub owner named Jack Ruby. The whole whirlwind left dozens of unanswered questions, namely concerning motive. Since Oswald never received a proper trial, new President Lyndon B. Johnson established the Warren Commission to further investigate JFK's murder. After 10 months, they concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald did plan and execute the assassination alone. But not everyone was satisfied with that explanation. Kennedy was shot twice before he died, first at the base of his neck and then fatally on the right side of his head. Those shots were supposedly fired by Oswald from a nearby building. But some people are sure that the second shot to the head may have come from a different shooter, possibly someone on the ground and tied to the bones. According to the book Conspiracy Films by Barna William Donovan, bonesmen have been considered suspects in the assassination simply because they were, quote, economic elites who felt threatened by JFK's progressive agendas. It's no secret that many bonesmen were wealthy conservatives, and JFK was a president who advocated for more liberal policies. But a possible motive linked to the skull and bones is a little more complicated. Allegedly, JFK struck a nerve with many of these wealthy society members because he wanted to revoke the oil depletion allowance. Essentially, the president wanted to remove the giant tax breaks granted to oil companies, and families like the Bushes, Buckleys, and Rockefellers were just a few bonesmen who would have suffered financially from this policy. One of the most common conspiracy theories in JFK's death is that the CIA was behind the assassination. As we explored earlier, it's clear that the Skull and Bones Society had some influence in the creation of the CIA, and if that's true, then it's possible that the Bones used their influence within the CIA to pull off their agenda. There's one prominent Bonesman that theorists suspect was involved. But the strange thing is, he wasn't even officially employed by the CIA at the time. Key word being, officially. 39-year-old George H.W. Bush was just beginning his career in politics in 1963 when JFK was killed. That year, he was still the president of the Zapata Offshore Drilling Company and chairman of the Harris County, Texas Republican Party. On the morning of JFK's assassination, Bush also happened to be in Texas. He was promoting his own senatorial race in Tyler, Texas, less than two hours outside of Dallas. Although years later, when Bush was questioned about his whereabouts that fateful November morning, he claimed that he didn't remember where he was, which seems odd, given that most of us recall exactly where we were during tragic historic events, but that wasn't the case for Bush. Although he was extremely busy during that time. Not only was it the beginning of his campaign, but Bush also had a young family and a huge conglomerate to run. 
Maybe he really was exhausted and didn't remember. Or maybe he knew exactly where he was but couldn't say because he was secretly working for the CIA. Just a week after JFK's murder on November 29, 1963, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover released a memo regarding the incident. In the document, Hoover listed two people who were briefed on the assassination, Captain William Edwards of the Defense Intelligence Agency and Mr. George Bush of the Central Intelligence Agency. So, according to the FBI's documentation, Bush had been briefed as a member of the CIA in 1963, even though he didn't officially begin working for the agency until 1976. And that wasn't the only suspicious fact about Bush. On August 25, 1988, nearly 25 years after JFK's assassination and shortly after Bush accepted the Republican nomination for president, an article was released in the San Francisco Examiner. It read, Bush called about JFK killing. Journalist Miguel Acoca had allegedly uncovered official documents proving that Bush contacted the FBI with a tip hours after the assassination. He told the FBI that a young Republican named James Milton Parrott had been planning to murder JFK. Parrott was reportedly a student at the University of Houston at the time and was heavily involved with local politics. He was brought in for questioning immediately following this tip from Bush, but insisted he never threatened JFK. Plus, he had a confirmed alibi. He was at his mother's house in Houston during the assassination. There are no details about why Bush might have singled out Parrott. Although when he was later asked about this call to the FBI, he said he also didn't remember calling in the tip at all. I'm a little suspicious. Memory loss is being used as an excuse for Bush rather often, which is probably why theorists say this phone call was actually a distraction. Perhaps Bush was trying to direct attention away from Oswald because members of the CIA had coerced him into performing the deed. In 1976, 13 years after the JFK assassination, Bush was made the official director of the CIA. And right about that time, the agency received a strange letter referencing Lee Harvey Oswald and the JFK assassination. The letter began, quote, Dear George, you'll excuse this handwritten letter. Maybe you will be able to bring a solution to the hopeless situation I am in. My wife and I find ourselves surrounded by some vigilantes, our phone bugged, and we are being followed everywhere. The writer finished by saying, quote, I tried to write, stupidly and unsuccessfully, about Lee H. Oswald and must have angered a lot of people. Could you do something to remove this net around us? This will be my last request for help, and I will not annoy you anymore. At first, CIA officials thought the whole thing was a prank. They brought it to the attention of Bush, thinking he would dismiss it. But as it turned out, not only wasn't it a scam, Bush knew exactly who had written it. His name was George de Morenshield. According to the book, Family of Secrets by Russ Baker, Bush said de Morenshield was, quote, an uncle to my Andover boarding school roommate. Later, he surfaced in Dallas. 
Then he surfaced when Oswald shot to prominence. He knew Oswald before the assassination of President Kennedy. So yes, Bush clearly was aware that DeMore and Shield had involvement with Lee Harvey Oswald, but only from a distance. Bush seemed to brush it off casually, though, by claiming he knew nothing more about DeMore and Shield's specific relationship with Oswald. But in his book, Russ Baker explains that DeMore and Shield was actually pretty close with Oswald. Not only did he reportedly help Oswald find jobs and apartments, Oswald spent quality time with him and his family. This has led some to believe that Bush had a closer relationship with DeMore and Shield than he let on. Theorists believe that Bush instructed him to befriend Oswald and convince him to kill JFK. And if Bush was two degrees separated from Oswald, it makes sense why he'd deflect blame onto another person, like James Parrott. Still, Bush continued to downplay the significance of his relationship with DeMorenshield. And there's no evidence that he actually passed instructions on to DeMorenshield on behalf of the CIA. This seems like a lot of bending to connect people together more closely. But six months after Bush received DeMorenshield's letter begging for help, DeMorenshield died of apparent suicide. That strikes me as incredibly odd, to say the least. After DeMorenshield's death, authorities discovered his address book. Inside those pages was a very specific address, George H.W. Bush's address at Zapata Offshore Drilling, where Bush was working at the time of JFK's assassination. Bush claimed that DeMorenshield was just the uncle of an old roommate, but if that were the case, it seems oddly current for DeMorenshield to have Bush's Dallas address unless they'd been in touch recently. Well, one thing is certain. Bush wasn't the only bonesman that might have been involved with JFK's assassination. William F. Buckley Jr., a member of Skull and Bones since the late 1940s, became a CIA agent in the early 50s. He worked there for two years under an operative named E. Howard Hunt. The two men developed a lifelong friendship. Buckley became the godfather of Hunt's children and even wrote the foreword to Hunt's book about the CIA titled American Spy. Both of these men also took issue with JFK's progressive ideals. Buckley was a right-winged author who founded a conservative news magazine called The National Review. And his family owned an oil company that would have been affected by JFK's revocation of the oil depletion allowance. Hunt, while not a bonesman, also had negative feelings toward JFK. His ill will began in 1961, when the CIA attempted to overthrow Cuban dictator Fidel Castro in the Bay of Pigs invasion. It was one of the CIA's biggest failures. Hunt worked closely with respected CIA director Alan Dulles on the hit. But after the Bay of Pigs failure, Dulles was discharged and Hunt himself was demoted to a lower-level department. He was reportedly bitter toward JFK and told people he'd lost faith in the president's commitment to overthrow Castro and thwart communism. Even though Hunt wasn't a bonesman, it's possible that his friend William Buckley, a prominent member of the society, could have used his anger as a recruitment tactic. Maybe the bones used Hunt to execute their plans, because there are theories that there wasn't just one assassin, there were multiple. 
In the hours following JFK's murder in 1963, various newspapers reported a sighting of three men at the scene of the crime, men that seemed suspicious and could have been involved with the shooting. They were referred to in the press as the Three Tramps. There are various theories about who the Three Tramps were, but some believe that E. Howard Hunt was one of them which ties back to the theory that Hunt may have been the second shooter involved in JFK's murder. The three tramps were actually caught on camera, and some people claim that one of the men does resemble Hunt, but the photos aren't clear enough to be sure. Hunt adamantly supported the Warren Commission's idea that Oswald acted alone. In retrospect, some believe Hunt was trying to shut down speculation that he could have been involved with the assassination. In the book, Compulsive Spy, author Tad Schultz claims that a few unnamed CIA sources gave him more evidence. They told him E. Howard Hunt resided in Mexico City in 1963, the same time that Lee Harvey Oswald lived there. Similarly to Bush's Oswald connection, some think that Hunt may have instructed Oswald to kill JFK while they were both in Mexico City. Problem is, there's no hard evidence to prove Hunt and Oswald interacted in Mexico. Them living in the same city in the same year is just one shared moment in time. Although, in 1975, Vice President Nelson Rockefeller established a new investigative committee to look into the CIA's past. They took a closer look at whether or not Hunt and other members of the CIA were involved with JFK's assassination. Keep in mind, while Nelson wasn't a bonesman, other members of the Rockefeller family were. After the investigation, the committee claimed they had no credible evidence of the CIA's involvement. Hunt and other members of the CIA were off the hook, so it's possible the bones might have pulled some strings to clear the agency's name. Which makes sense when you hear about Hunt's deathbed confession. In his final days, Hunt reportedly admitted to his children that he and other members of the CIA were involved in a conspiracy to assassinate JFK after all. Hunt's children even went on to share a list of the men who were allegedly involved. It included President Lyndon B. Johnson, CIA agents Cord Meyer, Bill Harvey, and David Morales. But the thing is, none were members of the Skull and Bones. The possible connections between Hunt, Oswald, and Bush are certainly interesting. And it does seem like the CIA knew more than they let on. But I don't know if I buy the idea that the Skull and Bones were directly behind the assassination of JFK, which is why I'm giving this theory a 3 out of 10. I agree with you there. I can see that rogue CIA operatives may have had ties to the JFK assassination, but aside from not agreeing with JFK's politics, I don't think there's enough evidence to believe the Bones orchestrated his murder. Although the relationship of Bush being within two degrees of Oswald, thanks to George de Morenshield, does leave some questions unresolved, which is why I'm rating this theory a little higher with a four. It may have just been one big coincidence. DeMorenshield and his wife were actually questioned by the Warren Commission, who concluded they had nothing to do with Oswald's decision to assassinate the president. And if that's the case, then it seems Bush didn't have any influence over Oswald either. 
I just find it so bizarre that Bush was a secret member of the CIA before he was officially inducted. If Bonesmen are working undercover for the CIA, then it opens the door to what else they could be doing behind closed doors. Coming up, the Bones plans for world domination. Now back to the story. It's undeniable that the ideologies of many Skull and Bones members didn't quite agree with JFK's progressive ideals, and some of them seem to be connected to Lee Harvey Oswald and the president's assassination. But the society's most dangerous plan may bleed even further beyond the lines of American government. This leads us to the third conspiracy theory, that the Skull and Bones Society is a branch of the Illuminati with plans to rule the world. Back in 1832, when Yale student William Huntington Russell was studying abroad, he discovered a secret German society which he'd become obsessed with. This fixation led to Russell's creation of Skull and Bones at Yale. There are very few details surrounding this German organization, including its name. But in the book Secrets of the Tomb by Alexandra Robbins, she states that the German society was, quote, a sinister outgrowth of the notorious 18th century society, the Illuminati. Upon its founding in the late 1700s, the Illuminati's goal was to help members reach a higher form of enlightenment. Like the Skull and Bones, they also believed in the power of the collective over the individual. Many felt that the Illuminati's main objective was to take complete power and create a new world order. The Illuminati, again like the Skull and Bones, was selective about who they let in. It's an invite-only group, generally extended to men of wealth and social importance. Plus, their bond with other members is seemingly unbreakable. In Anthony C. Hutton's book, America's Secret Establishment, he also speaks to the similarities in both societies' ceremonial practices. During the Illuminati's initiation, a skeleton is placed in front of an incoming member. A crown and sword are then put at the foot of the skeleton, and the initiate is asked whether that is the skeleton of, quote, a king, nobleman, or a beggar. This is eerily similar to the Skull and Bones initiation ceremony we discussed last episode. It's rumored that a German phrase is engraved on the walls of the tomb at Yale, reading, quote, Who was the fool? Who the wise man, beggar or king? Whether poor or rich, all's the same in death. This is meant to reiterate that every man is the same, regardless of status, in the Skull and Bones which is counterintuitive to what they put into practice. Because Alexandra Robbins points out that there are about 20 families in the core of the bones who call the shots. So clearly, some people are valued over others. Well, if we believe that the Skull and Bones is a branch of the Illuminati, then we also have to examine a potential broader plan. Some have posed they seek worldwide domination. For a new world order to be successful, members would have to take power over various facets of society. Things like government, corporations, education, and media. Then they can influence society from the inside. Members of the Bones have already taken control of various industries. Bonesman Henry Luce and Russell Wheeler Davenport established Time and Fortune magazines. 
meaning at those publications, they were in charge of how news was filtered and portrayed. Similarly, many Yale presidents have been bonesmen, so they can filter and influence who gets a better education. Various investment banks and law firms are also run by bonesmen. They're controlling huge amounts of money all over the country and the world, and it goes without saying that the bones have a hand in almost every sector of American government. Knowing this, some believe the bones' plans for world domination are directly affecting our lives in an even more invasive way through the practice of eugenics. Eugenics is the concept of controlling the human population by selectively mating people with desirable traits and taking reproductive rights away from other specific groups as dictated by those in power. We've seen this in history before, most notably with Adolf Hitler. He wrongfully believed that certain types of people dependent on ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, and disabilities were part of an inferior race, and in turn, a threat to Germany. The Skull and Bones hasn't been explicit about any specific plans for population control, but some of their covert behaviors lead us to believe it could be on their minds. In our last episode, we discussed Deer Island, the annual retreat location that Bonesmen visited each summer with their families. On paper, this excursion seems like an innocent vacation. But some believe this retreat is a way for Skull and Bones members to begin plans for population control. In Robin's book, Secrets of the Tomb, she discusses how Bonesmen are, quote, encouraged by the society to intermarry so that its power is consolidated. So it's not far-fetched to think that's exactly what's happening at Deer Island. Bones alumni introduced their daughters to newly initiated Bonesmen, possibly men they've deemed appropriate to reproduce with, seeing as they've already been vetted thoroughly. Robbins mentions in her book, quote, Skull and Bones forces members to confess their entire sexual histories so that the club, as a eugenics overlord, can determine whether a new Bonesman will be fit to mingle with the bloodlines of the powerful Skull and Bones dynasties. In explicitly describing every person they've had sex with, along with details like whether or not they use birth control, patriarchs can be sure that incoming Bonesmen don't have children out of wedlock or carry a sexually transmitted infection. Without more sources to verify this specific practice, I'm not sure. It's possible that older bonesmen want their daughters to marry a well-educated and respectable partner, and that eugenics isn't involved. I might be inclined to believe that, except for the fact that one bones patriarch went on to co-found a eugenics organization. In 1906, Bonesman Irving Fisher established something called the Race Betterment Foundation. It was meant to implement, quote, racial hygiene. The group was also linked to fitter families and better babies contests that occurred before and after World War I. These competitions were held at fairs in the Midwestern U.S. and were meant to highlight people with the, quote, best genes. These contests, however, were completely discriminatory. Generally, only white families were allowed to participate. Irving Fisher was the last member of the Skull and Bones to publicly support eugenics. 
However, one recent development leads us to believe that eugenics may still be part of the Bones' plans. Just last year, in August 2020, a private equity firm known as Blackstone acquired Ancestry.com, a genealogy company. Ancestry.com is a website that allows people to send a sample of their DNA so that they can discover more about their family history. And the CEO behind Blackstone just happens to be a bonesman named Stephen Schwartzman. Although the company has made a public statement saying, quote, we will not be sharing user DNA and family tree records with our portfolio companies. But you have to admit, it is a bit suspicious. If they wanted to track who had the most desirable traits for breeding in the future, this would be a streamlined way to catalog the population. I'll agree that there are similarities between the Illuminati and the Skull and Bones, but I'm not entirely sure the Bones are looking to take over the world. While the eugenics possibility does have some clear red flags, we can't draw conclusions without more evidence. The Skull and Bones would have to do quite a bit of heavy lifting to gain total control over the population, and just having young Bonesmen pair off with their daughters isn't going to get them there. I'm going to give this a 2 out of 10. I'm not so sure. Clearly these men have infiltrated so many facets of our culture. They have the power to gatekeep everything from news to education to the people we vote for. While I'm not sold that they're close to achieving some sort of population selective agenda, I don't doubt the potential of something more nefarious at play. Which is why I'd rate this theory a 5 out of 10. If there's one thing for certain, it's that the Skull and Bones has something to hide. Otherwise, their oath of secrecy wouldn't be this strong, 189 years after the group was created. You're absolutely right. And that's by design. It was a group founded and kept alive on the basis of secrets. They are some of the most successful and powerful men in America. And they could be pulling more strings today than we know. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. For more information on the Skull and Bones, check out our episodes of Secret Societies on the Skull and Bones. We'll be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Chelsea Gray, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Barely, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.